Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. So, hey, crew. As 2020, otherwise known as the year from hell, draws to a close, I have some actual good news to share with y'all. First of all, if you haven't twigged to the Good Dog Pod, you should most definitely add it to your downloads. This is a new podcast I'm hosting for Good Dog with the goal of reaching an even wider audience than we do here at Pure Dog Talk, with great content supporting dog breeders and responsible dog ownership. You can find the Good Dog Pod wherever you get this podcast including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Our primary topics on the Good Dog Pod are training and veterinary and breeding and legal advocacy. And I am so excited because we're going to try out a new format. We're sort of taste testing it. Basically, a call-in show concept with an Ask Our Advisors Q&A session with myself and Dr. Gail Watkins and Susan Patterson from the Facebook Repro Group. Our first crack at this, we're talking about that very first week of neonatal care and fielding questions from the audience, i.e. you guys. So very cool. Second of all, stay tuned for more good news in the new year. This is in advertising speak, what we call the big T's. <laughs> but seriously though, enjoy this month's outstanding Pure Dog Talk and Good Dog Pod episodes. Go like the Pure Dog Talk Facebook page so that you can get up-to-the-minute details. And consider joining our patrons community by supporting great content at Pure Dog Talk. Most of all, stay safe. Stay healthy and stay strong. Happy holidays to one and all. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves, and I am super excited. We are talking about more rare breeds today. I have Cheryl Bradbury, who is president, yes, of the Lancashire Healer Club. Yeah. Very cool. So we're going to learn about Lancashire Healers. And also maybe just a little bit about GBGV's Grand Basset. Very good. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. My brain. It's turkey coma day. <laughs> so welcome, Cheryl. I'm super excited for you to come and join us and tell us about some very cool dogs that people probably don't know very much about. Well, thanks. I'm happy to be here talking about this wonderful little breed. They're very exciting and they're so versatile and robust and a lot of fun just to have as your best buddy. So awesome. So give us the 411, Cheryl. What got you started? I know we've talked a little bit on the Good Dog Pod about your work at Revival, but what got you started in purebred dogs? I got busted when I was about five years old, sleeping in the whelping box. My dad had German short hair pointers. Okay. And he graduated to Chesapeake Bay Retrievers at some point in time, but 
I would go down there and sneak into the welcome box, and my dog's name was Buttons. And Buttons had her litter every couple of years. My dad would give all his buddies a new German short hair to go hunting with. And he was more of a field guy, you know, pheasant, quail, not so much duck, but a little bit. But it was more field dogs. The worst thing was when I got busted for getting in the whelping box. So I thought I'd sneak them up to my bed. And so I had puppies in my bed until one of them pooped on the pillowcase. And I tried to hide it. And my mom got after me. So I've been in purebred dogs just all my life. When I became an adult, I had children and we needed something to do. And we lived on a big piece of property out in the country. And we got some, I liked Great Danes. My husband had a Great Dane when I met him and Mm. I thought I would do Great Danes. But once you do that, it's an epidemic. You got to have like the page (laughs) of three bags. (laughs) Right. I think that it is like a socially acceptable addiction is what I think. (laughs) Yeah, it is really. If you think about it, it is socially acceptable and it's an addiction and it's a lot safer, I think, and sometimes than alcohol or tobacco, but. And you can lose just as much, if not more money than gambling. So. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. My father-in-law asked me one time, he says, what the heck do you do with all them dogs? And we lived next door to him for a certain amount of time. He had a 34 Ford street rod in his garage. I said, well, let me tell you. It's a lot quieter than that 34 Ford with that souped up engine. And I say, I spend just as much money on dog food as you spend on gas and parts for that thing. So, I mean, it's a hobby for goodness sake. Right. Yeah. So it's just, we get to snuggle with our hobby, which is good. Yeah. So what brought you from Great Danes to GBGVs and then down another notch to the Lancashire Healers size-wise? Yeah. Size-wise, Great Danes and Mastiffs, we always loved big dogs and I was getting older and I didn't want to run 15 times around the ring anymore. And so we decided to try to get a slower dog, which we thought Mastiffs would be better. He still had to run 15 times around the ring with them, just at a little bit slower pace. So I thought, you know, my daughter had had a beagle when she was in junior showmanship. And I really liked that small size. But, you know, I just wasn't completely convinced. So I got a petite Besse, and I had those for a few years, had some problems with seizures in the bloodlines, and it was very heartbreaking. And so I got into this Grand Besse, Griffon, Von Dion, big name, noble name, big regal words. And I really loved him, and I have a great dog, Duda. He went all over Europe and showed, and I went to Cross to watch him show. Awesome. Yeah, and it was a great trip. When I was there... I was sitting and I was watching these little scrappy black and tan and liver and tan dogs show across the building from me. And I thought, wow, those are really interesting. And they were kind of snarky and they were a little bit outspoken. But it seemed as though all the people that had them ringside were very friendly and there was great camaraderie amongst that group. And I thought, what a lovely group of people. Now, is this just because we're in the UK or is this because this is the breed kind of thing? Right. So I went over and I watched the show. And I mean, just watching for a short amount of time, they kind of just grow on you. Like I said, they're scrappy, but they're just so robust and rough and tumble and fun. Right. And they all had great attitudes over there. There wasn't anybody that was standoffish. They weren't mad at the people. They were feisty with each other. And Mm -hmm. so I thought, wow, I really need to look into this breed. My daughter had a German Shepherd, and I really liked that devotion and loyalty that that German Shepherd had. And it was, you know, a herding breed, and it stayed Mm -hmm. by me all the time. And I thought, well, maybe this might be something for me. So I started doing my research, and I found a couple of breeders in the U.S., and I thought, well, I'll give it a shot. What the heck? 
the club is young and they're in FSS status. Right. So I give it a try. And I did. I got Baba Bonanca from a breeder down in Mississippi. And it has been love ever since. We are best friends. We go everywhere together. (laughs) So give me the background on the Lancashire healer. Old, young, tell me about them. I have like a thimble full of not very much information. (laughs) Well, the Lancashire healer, number one, is native to the United Kingdom. It's been used for hundreds of years as a working dog on farms in the Lancashire area. And although there's little known about the breed, they are still working on some farms today. And they also have been known as the Omskirk healer as well. Hmm. And if you go to that area, Lancashire, you can still see some of those dogs working, you know, like I said. And what is their job as the farm dog? Do they push stock around? Do they kill vermin? What's their job? Keep going. They do all of the above. So (laughs) they do. They're a driver is what some of our herding specialists in our group call them. They drive cattle and they do that through the biting and the nipping at the back Mm -hmm. of the hocks. Their bite's a little too hard for sheep, and certainly they probably demolish any kind of fowl that they tried to move with these things, because this is a very assertive little dog, you know, weighing at the most 20 pounds. They're going to have to move how big of an animal into market. Mm -hmm. They've got to have a heck of a snap of that jaw to get those animals moving. You know, but they also need to be able to be small and compact so that they can move with and roll, duck, tuck, and... Cattle kind of kick differently. They kick out instead of up or down. Right. They kick out. Even in play, you can see some of these Lancashires that will drop and roll out of the way. It's just amazing. We call it the crocodile death roll. Boom, and they're gone. So it's a lot of fun to watch them. You know, the Lancashire Healer, they were recognized by the Kennel Club in the UK in 1981. And so they've been preserving this breed over there. Mm-hmm. And working through any of the health issues that the breed may have as well. The United States Lancashire Healer, we started back in 91 with Over kind of a loose club. Everybody enjoying the dog and working a little bit here and there, trying to get everybody on the same page with the dog. And so the club's worked very hard all these years to try to establish itself. And then when we went into with AKC into the FSS program, it's been just kind of a work in progress, working as a club developing health testing and protocol. And are you guys still in FSS or have you moved up into miscellaneous? We are in the AKC Foundation Stock Service Program and we are in the miscellaneous status now. So we can actually show at any dog show in the country. Right. And you'll obviously, the club is aiming for the herding group. That is where you will eventually be designated. Correct. And there are some people that have different opinions because they feel as though this dog is a mixture of Corgi and Manchester Terrier, they do have terrier-like behaviors. Like you said, ratting, all that, they will do that. And when I said before, a little bit snarky, yep, just like a terrier, they hold Mm. their ground, they are very opinionated, and they know their job, but they do have to have a job as well. Okay, so then that's my next question. I always want to know when we're talking about these breeds, So for someone who is looking to own one or someone who calls you up and wants to own one, who makes a really good owner for a Lancashire healer? And who would you say, no, honey, no? (laughs) Well, you know, the average parent that has two or three children that don't understand potentially what disrespect for an animal can cause, those are not families that we want these dogs to go to. These dogs are 
awesome on an estate on property because they will rat and they will basically just run and play and be happy and they have to have a job frisbee tennis balls kind of like a border collie Mm, okay that's the kind of drive and activities that they need to have but then when you take and you put this dog and you look at all of the akc events that are out there and other club events right herding our herding committee is working on a specific test and competition specifically for this that's cool yeah and then we now have one of the Lancashire healers just went to a home to be the first dock diving Lancashire healer out there. Nice. And I would think agility because they're short, right? They can jump in the, is it under 12? What is the size yep. category everybody's always looking for? <laughs> so we have Beverly Morgan Lewis and Karen Mason who have the three Lancashire healers out there. Beverly has Druid and Pixie who have more titles (laughs) that, yeah, those dogs, it's just, that's craziness. But they have been to all of the Olympics, world championship, all this amazing activities. Those two dogs are awesome. Karen Mason with her dog, Birdie, she actually participated in the Royal Canaan in Orlando last year Mm -hmm. and competed with Birdie. Mm -hmm. So we all have some really good representatives of the breed And those three dogs there and those two ladies are amazing team and members for the club as well. Awesome. We have a lot of obedience dogs that are out there. And now with the novice trick titles and all of those opportunities. And I believe that Jonna Decker is working on Fast Cat with this breed as well. So if there's any kind of activity, we're doing it with the breed. So very, very fun. So you're looking for a high energy sort of family for these dogs that wants to do stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we put these dogs with seniors that just Mm -hmm. need someone or something to walk every day and keep them busy. Mm -hmm. So they don't sit in a chair and watch soap operas basically, or you've got families that have teenagers and Mm -hmm. those kids are busy and that dog is Mm going to help keep them busy. But you know, at the end of the day, they also are happy to sit on your lap and snuggle. So if there's, you know, a family that's very busy in the daytime and just wants to kick back and relax, that dog can do that as well. Nice. And again, size 20 pounds, 10 inches tall, like that. The top of our weight range is going to be about 20 pounds. You have a standard for this breed for your dogs, no higher than 12 inches at the withers. But again, you have smaller ones and you have bigger ones and it's just the genetics of the breed too. Right. And they're kind of that long and low, more like Corgi-esque. Actually, we're more about a cobby style dog, a little bit okay. shorter body. Okay. Rough, fluffy hair, but not something that you would groom. Something like a German Shepherd coat, but not that long. Okay. Black and tan are the two colors and liver and tan. And then you have... Preferably no white on the dog, but it's not a disqualification or anything like that. It's just black and tan and liver and tan. Mm-hmm. But you will see some that have white on the toes or a little streak of white on the chest. Again, it's not a disqualification. Okay. And pretty easy maintenance in terms of coat, right? I mean, that looks like you say not a big bunch of grooming. Do they drop a lot of coat? Oh, they'll blow coat. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> they'll blow that coat twice a year. Yeah. You do general animal husbandry. You want to make sure their teeth stay clean. You want to make sure you cut their toenails. As far as going in the ring and competing, we don't cut the whiskers. We just don't do any of that. So as an example, when we go into the ring right now and we go against the rest of the miscellaneous or FSS breeds, they don't win against the Beva. 
they're not fluffy. They're not adorable. We don't have any bows going on. <laughs> but, you know, we have great movement. We have great attitude. And there is a little bit of ranginess within the breed right now when you see them competing. But, you know, we're just working on that as far as breeding and breeding towards the standard and all that. Mm-hmm. You were talking about some of the health clearances you were building into the parent club and some of that. What are you looking at? Healthy, got some issues. What does that look like? Well, actually, last year we partnered with the OFA to establish a chick program with them. Good. PLL and CEA are two of the problems that we have. The majority of the problems are with the eyes with this breed. Okay. So primary lens luxation and collie anomaly are two of the DNA tests that can be done to clear these dogs. Mm-hmm. Also, when you have a litter of puppies, you need to have your eyes certified by the time they're eight weeks old and send those puppies home with a clean bill of health and then recommend that your owners test those eyes every year. Mm -hmm. We also have our patellas graded as well, and we're not seeing any major problems in the U.S. here. I know that there's been a tremendous amount of work done over in the U.K. and Europe, basically worldwide, to strengthen these breeds and to try to eradicate CEA and PLL out of this breed. There are some other things that we need to be aware of in the eyes, basically. Right. Okay. Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. Embark for Breeders All-Inclusive DNA Testing Kit is the gift that'll keep on giving to your breeding program this holiday season. Embark hopes to bring breeders comfort and joy in December through better canine health. So stock up on kits for the winter using your Pure Dog Talk discount. Visit EmbarkVet.com and use code PureDogTalk to enjoy $20 off each kit in your order. Embark offers a comprehensive program for breeders centered on its industry-leading full panel kit. One Embark for Breeders kit provides breed-relevant genetic health tests, physical traits, and genetic COI test results for your dogs. In addition, Embark offers award-winning customer service and a free consultation to answer all your genetics questions in every kit. (laughs) Visit Embark.com backslash breeders to save on better health for your dogs. That's EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders and use code PureDogTalk. We're talking about preserving the breed. What are you looking at for numbers? Is this one of those rarer than a giant panda, or is this just a lot of them that aren't as well known? Well, first of all, worldwide, they are approved to be shown in FCI worldwide. Mm-hmm. They can be shown everywhere. AKCF, obviously, we're showing in miscellaneous. As far as numbers of dogs, there are long waiting lists for these puppies, especially in the UK. Mm-hmm. There are approximately 250 of the Lancashire healers in the United States right now. So that's how many we have on the ground. Mm -hmm. We have in the United States Lancashire Healer Club, 71 members, 65 households, and 250 dogs here. I know there's three litters that haven't been registered yet with AKC. So we're working on getting our puppies registered right now. So that would probably be 275, maybe a little bit more. Sounds like you've got a good club and a good number. So if 
somebody wanted to get a new agility dog or a new dog to compete in a new arena, are you talking like you're going to be waiting for years, start planning now or? (laughs) No, I don't think so. I don't think that that's going to be what's happening right now. We have listed seven breeders for the club. We were at three breeders and we've done a lot of work to increase the number of breeders. Those folks are testing and they're examining their pedigrees to make sure that we aren't going to run into any problems. I know I have puppies. Uh, A couple other ladies have puppies or breeders have puppies. And we have two litters should be in the first quarter of 2021 for a Mm -hmm. couple other breeders. So I don't think it's a shortage. You may have to wait six months, but. Okay. I can tell you there are people who've waited longer for a wire hair pointer from me. So that's okay. (laughs) I think a lot of it just, we're committed to this with the club, Mm -hmm. preserving this breed and bringing quality puppies Mm -hmm. to the ground. And that's the big thing. But we are being very careful too. So we may go through a dry spell in 2000 and. 19, we didn't have very many litters. We had Mm -hmm. quality puppies, but it's, again, we had three breeders. Now we're going on seven breeders, and so there should be more available puppies. But we do stress to people who are buying puppies to make sure that they have proof that the breeder is testing the sire and the dam Mm -hmm. for PLL and CEA and grading those patellas. If they don't participate in the chick program, that means sending that information in and getting a chick number. We don't get excited about that. We'd like to recommend. It's a mentoring type of process for us. Right. But they need to have proof that the siren dam were tested. Okay. Because we don't want any incidences. Well, right. And that's how you do it. I mean, that's the responsible breeder thing. I like it. You know, I love looking at these low number breeds, unknown breeds. And I just love these communities because people are so dedicated and you're actually building the breeder community. which is something I talk about all the time. We need more dog breeders. And I see people in the rare breeds community doing that so, so effectively. Yeah. You know, we also have three judges that are members of the club. We have Diana McCarty, who Mm -hmm. has been supporting the Foundation Stock Service Program open shows. She's been doing that for many years and needs to be commended. We have Jeff Kestner, who is a member of our club, and Jeff Basil, who is also a member of the club. Jeff, Basil, and Kessner both have two Lancashire healers that they brought over from the UK. Amazing judges, amazing mentors to our club. We're so happy to have all three of these judges with us. It's interesting when you go to show a Lancashire healer at a dog show, and all of a sudden, most of the time they schedule the open shows over the lunch hour. Right. I judged one in January. It was the coolest thing. I was like, this is my jam, man. I love this. (laughs) The judges will cut their lunches short and come sit ringside just to learn about these breeds. It's absolutely. It was one of the funnest things I did. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. So we really get excited when we have judges sitting ringside because they're in some situations. I mean, with me, there's not a lot of breeders around here for me. And so I have all my dogs and I bought from various kennels. So I don't just have all the same stuff. Right. So they get to see a variety of the looks of the breed that are here. Mm -hmm. We really do appreciate them taking time to stop us and ask us questions as well. Right. Well, and that was the one open show that I got to judge. I got to see breeds that I didn't even know existed. And that is just this 
continuing progression of loving to learn more about the various rare breeds. It's just been a joy. GBGB is actually our new to showing in Hound for the last couple of years they've been in. So I went this whole process with GBGBs through the miscellaneous FSS and miscellaneous process. And so, I mean, it was very gratifying when the judges stopped there and I thought, well, this is just because we're flashy and pretty. And well, I tell you, they are very interested in every kind of breed that's coming into AKC. So Mm-hmm. I love how the judges support and even spectators, the handlers will come up and talk to us. And right. So it's a great experience. Absolutely. And I love your description about wanting to become involved in the breed because you liked the community so much. Yeah. The breeder community in the UK. Have you felt that transition here to the States too? Yeah. Well, you know, every club has challenges and personalities and some people they have their own agenda, but I have to say, We have a makeup of extremely passionate people about this breed. And we have a committee, a herding committee, and those folks on that committee are hands-on and they are evaluating this breed, like I said earlier, to develop a herding test for this breed specifically, because really this breed doesn't really herd along the auspices of AKCs or right. these herding organizations, they kind of do their own thing. The other thing too, we have a health committee that is so passionate about having healthy dogs on the ground and to get healthy puppies, you have to have healthy parents and to have healthy parents, you have to test. And so again, like I said, we partnered with the OFA to establish all of this and the board of directors of the Lancashire Healer Club We have the methodology that we want to mentor people. We're not going to carry a heavy stick and say, you will do these things. This is what we'd like you to do. And when you do these things, this is what can happen good to your dogs. And so that's kind of how the whole board is. And that's, I don't want anybody to dictate to me. I want to lead a club. I don't want to be a dictator. I like it. I love the focus on mentoring. And again, I think that's something I see so consistently in most of the new breeds, the more rare breeds, the breeds that are just trying to get going through FSS and miscellaneous. I see that a lot. And I love that the passion for the breed really shines through, you know, it does in every breed, but it's just, it's so notable, I think in the rare breeds community. You know, when they look up at you with those great big, huge, dark eyes, and they do have this little signature smile where they'll pull their face up a little bit. Talk about that. I read that in the thing. I'm like, what? What does that mean? It is so crazy. I mean, you'll be going along and everything's fine. And I'll say, hi, Baba, how's it going? And she's got that little, and of course that tan lip. And right. she'll pull that right up and you swear she's smiling. She's happy as heck. But boy, it's a grin. And so you start looking at everybody else. I have a liver and tan Nada who's got dark liver and she's got that light tan face. Mm-hmm. And every once in a while you'll look at her and she's grinning. I mean, just pulling that face right up. So, I mean, you can see it when they're gating in the ring. You can see mm-hmm. it when they're playing. They have that signature smile. It's there. And I don't know how many other breeds can do it. I have Lex here who he has the full tooth grin. And you think he's coming at you like a shark going to bite your face off. And he's just smiling. And <laughs> you all his teeth. He's hilarious. So That's it, fabulous. They're great to live with. They're very busy, though. So they keep me busy. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like a busy little dog. (laughs) Yeah, it is. The other important thing about the club is we're growing. And when you're in FSS, 
and we're in the miscellaneous status, we have a laundry list of things that we have to get done. We have to show AKC that we can work as a business, basically. We right. can run a club. We can do what we're supposed to do. Constitution and bylaws are done. We are in the process of sending that to our membership for a vote. Even in this COVID thing, <laughs> scheduled our first open show to go off in May with the Nebraska Kennel Club is letting us take one of their open shows. Yeah. We're working on a second one and then discussing whether or not we will sponsor one of the open shows in Orlando in 2021. Next year. Yeah, nice. we'll have to see there. Those are my favorite. That's, again, a huge spark to my interest in this whole thing is I watched those in Orlando. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. That's a big deal. You know, and with them not having Meet the Breeds there next year, at Meet the Breeds, you see lots of breeds and then you see lots of new breeds. And with them yeah. not having Meet the Breeds next year, the opportunity for people to see any new breeds isn't going to be as big as if we need to have open shows so we get lots of spectators so people can see some of these new breeds down there. That's a big show. Hopefully, 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 hopefully. Come on, we're praying for 21. Let's go, people. Bring yeah. us a vaccine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wanted to follow up on the living with um, apartment or too noisy for apartment or too busy for apartment. How's your best living space for the breed? Depends on you as a person. If you're committed to take that dog for three or four walks a day, an mm. apartment's just fine. They can be loud. They do have a screech for a bark that can burst your eardrums. But if you teach them, train them appropriately, then you don't have a lot of problems. But they can be loud. It's like when they play as a group, you would think that there should be blood everywhere. <laughs> They're just screaming and talking and hollering, just like on a playground with kids, you know. Mm -hmm. They're very loud. Obviously, farm life is great for them. Mm -hmm. Hobby acreages and stuff like that are wonderful. They do need a fenced-in backyard. They do not do well tethered on a chain or a cable, and I don't think that's fair to the dog to do that, but that's my opinion. I actually live on a big piece of land out here in Plattsmouth, Nebraska, and I have no fences. But they know, they've been trained, they love me, they love their house, and they go out there, do their business, and they come back. But again, they're trained. Mm -hmm. If you don't train them, they're going to be a nuisance. Right. Well, I think that's relatively true for most breeds. Yeah. So. <laughs> it's teaching them to be a good citizen, both in yep. public and at home, is yep. what needs to happen. Yeah. You know, wash and wear dog, great attitude. They do need to be socialized, though. You can't just mm. keep them home. Because they are a shepherd type dog, a herding dog, and they will protect you. And if they're not used to seeing people and understand that you're safe and you're okay, they can become right. somewhat assertive, more assertive than you like with strangers. I like that, assertive. Yeah. <laughs> I can't good. say that they're aggressive at all, but they will become menacing and such when strangers are around. So they need to Interesting. be socialized, going out in public. Right. And I assume training super smart and need boundaries kind of training. Definitely so. And like I said earlier, there is nothing that this dog cannot do. I don't know about hunting, but oh, I have to say though, again, they, they rat and they mouse and mm. they will bring them back to the back door and leave them for you to step on in your bare feet. Okay. That was an image I just didn't need. I'm oh, just saying. Oh yeah. They are so giving of their, they just want to make you happy. <laughs> I'm dying here. <laughs> Another thing though, cats, we get a lot because, you know, a lot of people on acreages have barn cats. And mm -hmm. if they're going to put these dogs out in the country, they need to be taught 
that the cat is their partner, not something to chase. I have a barn cat here and I have a couple in-house cats and they all respect them because they're fully armed and I don't mm-hmm. declaw. So they have a good respect for the cat and the cat respects them and they all know their jobs. If the mice don't leave them on the front porch, that's yeah. all. <laughs> it's exciting at that time in the morning. Exciting. Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> Oh my God. Well, Cheryl, thank you so much. This is amazing. I love the opportunity to share new breeds with people and I really appreciate all of your knowledge. Well, thank you. We are very happy to be a part of this and to get the word out how wonderful of a little breed of dog this is. And again, remember, there's no fluff and there's no bows on this thing. It's no bows. Yeah. I love it. All right. Well, Cheryl, thanks a lot. Have a great turkey coma day is how I like to think of it. (laughs) Thank you very much. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our dog show superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk.